there is a reason why we're asking for this rigor. Um, and the reason why we're asking for it is that in the end, it will be less work and it will give us better results. And at the end of the day, um, it'll be much less stressful going down this path as opposed to kind of having this spaghetti on the wall uh, approach. B2B has the potential to be electrifying. But the industry is paralysed by a culture of conservatism. Scared stiff in a straitjacket of rational ideas. It's time for change. It's time to make B2B marketing visceral. Join us as we uncover and explore the truth with leading B2B marketers. This is B2B Marketing, the provocative truth. Hello and welcome to B2B Marketing, the provocative truth. I'm Benedict and today I'm joined by VP of Marketing at Tab Bank, John Huntinghouse. John, a very, very warm welcome to the podcast. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thank you for the invite. I'm excited. No, I'm sure the pleasure is going to be all ours, especially as we're taking a slight deviation from some of the normal topics that we we talk about um, here on the, the podcast and looking at something which very relevant to marketing, but also I think potentially has sort of application beyond the marketing profession. And that's going to be talking around building a culture of experimentation, albeit specifically within B2B marketing. Um, and how I'd like to get this conversation off is with the provocative truth that many B2B marketers, and there are circumstances around this, but not that withstanding that, are either too scared or don't know how to experiment effectively. And that's to the detriment of us moving ourselves forward as a profession. Is that something you'd agree with? Yeah, no, I absolutely. Uh, it's just been my experience, either when I'm consulting or going into a new position or when I was in the agency life, when we would be working with different brands and marketing teams. Every time you go into it, um, I've, I've literally never seen it done well um, firsthand. And so I've seen other teams do it, you know, uh, second, you know, through secondhand stuff. But when whenever I work with teams or, you know, help consult or go into the back end, everybody constantly talks about this culture of experimentation. But when you actually look at how the experiments are structured, A, they're not structured at all. Um, they just say they're experimenting, but they're not actually structured at all. And even when they are slightly structured, uh, they they kind of lose the whole purpose of how they're how they're running their experiments. So it, it is a little bit of a soapbox, a little bit of a pet peeve of mine when, when I get in there. So we constantly talk about this, but I, I don't think it means what uh, they, they think it means. Before we get into you know what potentially marketers are deficient in, what best practice looks like, maybe let's just sort of set set the scene. How would you define a culture of experimentation? What are the hallmarks of a culture of experimentation? Well. <laughs> The biggest hallmark of it is having some form of structure. Now, experimentation can look in and have different, lots of different shapes and forms on how it looks, but ultimately it has to have some kind of repeatable structure. Uh, if you go to any academic or university uh, or college, you'll see this, right? Um, regardless of whether it's biology or whether it's physics, it doesn't matter the department, but like that structure is there. The way that they run their experiments are slightly different, but there is structure. Um, and so for the most part, one of the biggest things that I see when it comes to experimentation is lack of structure. Second of all, mm -hmm. is understanding that experimentation leads to a point, right? It's not just... Um, most experiments that I see is that they, they try something and try to see if it, if it works. The biggest thing that's missing in most experiments 
is actually having a hypothesis prior to running that experiment. Mm -hmm. um, and most people, when I see their experiments, like their hypothesis is, let's just see what happens. The problem with that is you always see what happens, but you don't actually learn from that, right? Like that's not an actual hypothesis. Um, and so like when you're creating that hypothesis, it's we plan on seeing A because of B. Um, mm -hmm. And when we don't or when we do, then we build off that and we, we – we create new questions and new uh, ideas. And then your next experiment ties to the original one. Um, and so mm -hmm. that's probably the last part that's off, you know, that's missing oftentimes in these experiments is that they're not linked together. Like we're constantly yeah. running these experiments that are just hodgepodge and, and not um, directional. It's interesting because when coming into this, this chat and I was thinking about, okay, well, what, what do we mean by a culture of experimentation? And I think instinctively, I thought about it from an attitudinal perspective. How do you sort of build that sort of attitude of wanting to try new new things? And actually what you're saying there is, is I mean, yes, there's a degree of attitude about it, but it's more actually about the discipline of experimentation and applying some, I mean, you have literally used academic sort of terminology, ac applying some academic rigor to, to how you approach it. Um, do, do you think that that is almost a misunderstanding that exists within wider marketing, that it's all about attitude of being no. experimental rather than thinking about it as a, a process? No, absolutely. And I, and I think that's actually one of the reasons why it does ha happen that way, right, is mm. everybody understands it and thought why it's important to experiment. Like we all understand the benefits from it. We understand that there's a lot to learn from it. But what, what ends up happening is, you know, whenever you're starting any kind of marketing campaign or new, um, and you know, go to market strategy, there's just a, a crazy amount of variables that you just don't understand. And you're, you're naturally going to test a lot of things, but what you, while you're going to have a lot of variables and, and things you need to learn up front, six months, a year down, 18 months down the line, you should still not be like experimenting the same questions, right? Like you should learn and you should progress. And one of the things that you, you typically don't see is, you know, six months later, a year later, we're still throwing spaghetti at the wall, right? Like we're just trying to get something to stick and not being directional in our experiments. And, you know, again, to pull from the academic world, like when you look at any individual research department, they're always almost exclusively directional, right? Um, they're not experimenting everything in physics or everything in biology. They're experimenting, you know, in their niche in, you know, and for B2B marketers, it's what is the problem you're solving, right? And mm -hmm. that's like, that's what your experiments are going to be built around, but it's going to be linear and directional and they build upon each other as opposed to constantly, every time we run an experiment, it's just something, whatever we come up with, um, and what ends up happening is when that's your approach to it and kind of lack that discipline six months, a year down the line, you're still just throwing stuff and hoping something sticks. I mean, the, the theory of what you've described there makes a huge amount of sense. And to be honest, I can see how it comes into practice as well. But I'd be fascinated to hear, you know, an anecdote from you about where experimentation within marketing has had that really transformative effect. Uh, is there an example that you're able to illustrate what sort of good experimentation looks like and the outcome you get from that? Yeah, I mean, well, we can just use our, uh, you know, I mean, this is kind of tooting our own horn a little bit. Um, <laughs> Sorry, but, you've given a disclaimer now for it. So you now basically have a right to say whatever, because you've been like, hey, commercial feature coming up. But yeah. <laughs> it's cool. But I mean, 
it, it is what happened, you know, like yeah. at tab, we were kind of running into the same issues and the same problems yeah. where we were running experiments, but we weren't really learning from them and we weren't really growing from that. And so, especially when it came to our working capital, um, you know, our B2B lending uh, product uh, here at tab, what it, it was probably the biggest transformation that we saw because even when we started launching, we had a lot of executives and other you know product owners that just had very little faith. They're like, we've never actually gotten this to work. We don't know if we should be investing a, a ton of money into this. And so we just said, let's let's do this differently, right? Let's let's change that narrative. Um, and you know, when we're starting and when we have no traction whatsoever, the biggest traction that we get is learning and kind of and, and finding that progress. And so what we ended up doing is. Starting from square one, and we're like, okay, like what are our assumptions? And so we created an assumption, you know, checklist and listed all of them. And because one of the problems when you're first starting out a campaign or launching a, you know, go to market strategy is that there are too many experiments, right? Like, like there's just crazy amount of experiments that you could potentially do. And so we ended up creating this assumption checklist and. The, the, all of those assumptions were the basis of our original questions, right? Our original hypothesis that we were going to test. And so then we did a little triaging, right? Based on business impact and data, right? Like how much do we actually know about this assumption? Do we have a lot of data that supports it or is it just a lot of, you know, anecdotal things? Mm -hmm. um, and then what is the in business impact? And then when we marked it across those two axes, like that helped us triage, okay, these are going to be the most uh, important questions to answer and the most important hypothesis that we would have. And so when we did this, like the very first, you know, after we kind of triaged it out, uh, what ended up being the first experiment we wanted to kind of, you know, test was um, are the business owners, the principal influencers or the primary target we should be marketing to? Um, so that was the question. And so the hypothesis was, that they weren't, um, because that, that was just kind of a, a hunch, kind of a guess. Um, we were thinking, you know what? We, we don't actually think they're the primary influencers, even though they're the ones signing the checks, um, that there, there would probably be someone else to be uh, targeting. And so we kind of set up that with our, our hypothesis was that A, that they're, they're not, and then B, that our hypothesis was, you know, it was a CFO or someone that was kind of the chief financial officer was going to be the primary influencer in that campaign. Mm -hmm. And so then we changed our marketing, like our messaging around that to, you know, tie into that hy hy hypothesis and see kind of what the results were. Um, and, and it turns out, A, it validated the fact that, that no, um, when it comes, while they sign the checks, the business owner or the CEO is not the, the primary person that we should be marketing to, mm -hmm. which transformed our entire marketing campaign and messaging and everything to more of the end user, the, the individuals who were, who work in it uh, on a day to day basis. Um, and we, we ended up, we ended up seeing like phenomenal results when it comes to our working capital line, um, and B2B. And we just continue to build on that, right? And so now that we're two years later, it's a lot more specific, but it's still all tied back to that original concept and idea that, you know what, like our origin point was just off. And if that's off, then all of the other campaigns we were going to be doing mm -hmm. weren't, are just not going to be effective with it.
it's 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 a, it's simple but i can just see yeah. how having that that focus of what you're trying to find out and actually not find out it's prove or disprove yeah. it just means that you're going to set yourself up to be much more clinical much more economically and actually getting to sort of that that out that outcome now i'm really interested to get some further advice from you in terms of like what um b2b marketers can do how we can sort of build that culture but but, but before we do that i'm i'm just interested for you personally where does the sort of experiment sort of academic focus sorry academic type approach experimentation come from when did that become something that you felt was super important and, and why was that so this goes back a little bit to my background and my kind of non-traditional background on how i ended up in in marketing um but in a previous life um before i entered uh, marketing uh I, I previously was a cardiovascular genetic researcher uh at the intermountain heart institute here um locally and so that's what i did i was a cardiovascular yeah. researcher and so Ended up making, I mean, it's a long story on how I ended up getting there. But when I, when I made that switch, um, one thing that I carried with me, um, was that academic, uh, rigor that was so present in my previous life. And when I was mm -hmm. in marketing, I'm just like, man, holy cow. Like we are just willy nilly just putting up crap. Like, I, like, I don't even know what we're doing. Like, and it's just everything was anecdotal. Um, and mm -hmm. where I was coming from, it just felt weird. It felt wrong. And I was like, I feel like people are just making up answers uh, on the spot when when they're being asked things um, and just seeing a lot of that lack of data. And even when we had data, just having the wrong application of that data. Um, and so really, that's where I started to build out my own niche, right? Like when it comes to my own personal career growth and how I was going to make my mark as a marketer was to take kind of that academic uh a rigor from my previous life and bring that into marketing. And while it's not apples to apples, there's a lot of differences and nuances that uh, aren't, you know, that's not quite the same, but mm -hmm. really like what I found in my career and all the way up to this point is, yeah, like we as marketers need to add a little bit more rigor to what we're doing, whether we're doing creative testing, you know, and, and testing, you know, the, the messaging and how it's landing and how it's resonating with the, the audience, um, whether to something technical or, you know, from an SEO standpoint, or when it comes to our paid media expense, um, taking that, you know, that structure and that rigor, I think is really important and, and really adds a little bit of discipline to the marketing profession. Excellent. I mean, uh, that, firstly, Frank, thanks for sharing. It's, it's it's nice just to build that little bit of sort of like, I suppose, narrative to, yeah. to where this has come from for you. And I, I completely agree in terms of the rigor and the need for an evidence-based approach. But I, I'm interested with you coming from that very, you know, academic background and also a scientific academic background. Yeah. You're working in the sciences, you weren't working in sort of humanities there. Yeah. <laughs> what was the biggest sort of points of friction and resistance when you came over and tried to implement that evidence-based research-led approach? Well, initially it's a, a little bit of frustration and, and, and I get it, right? Because we're so used to, you know, and this was back, you know, when I was working in, in, in the agency world, you know, when we would, we would push people, right? Like, so they would, uh, we would have different teams and different groups that would come and present data mm -hmm. uh, or present their thoughts on why we should be moving forward. And we would always have pushback, right? It's like, okay, like how do we actually know that this is even 
the direction that we should be, you know, going down. Um, is there anything that helps us to believe that this is true? Um, and what it ends up doing initially, especially when you're trying to transform habits and culture and just the way things are being done, it creates a lot of frustration, right? Because it, uh, it causes a lot, a lot of rework. Um, and a lot of people like having to redo the way that they previous have previously have done things. And so, um, I, I think that was kind of the biggest, um, friction point was the yeah. fact that like it makes people frustrated, but when you are patient with them, you know, but then also walking through, okay, like just like when you're coming into a new job and you need to find some wins, you know, to kind of show the executive team and the board, um, you know, that your methodology and kind of the way that you're looking at things uh, really will work. You can, you need the same thing with these teams, right? Like you need these small wins to kind of demonstrate that, all right, there is a reason why we're asking for this rigor. Um, and the reason why we're asking for it is that in the end, it will be less work and it will give us better results. And at the end of the day, um, it'll be much less stressful going down this path as opposed to um, just kind of having it and, uh, you know, kind of having this spaghetti on the wall uh, approach. So, but yeah, I, I would say the, the biggest friction point at first is just that initial pushback by, you know, individuals who are not used to um, doing things that way. And you talked there in terms of, you know, you need to get some wins, you know, showing you sort of your methodology is, is, is working. And, and arguably, the wins are going to be the best way of proving the effectiveness of experimentation. But for um, marketers, you know, who are looking to institute a, a culture of experimentation, what would you say the sort of the key performance indicators um i was about to say key kpis which wouldn't make sense <laughs> what are the kpis that you would look for um to sort of show that a culture of experimentation is you know working the right way and is going to deliver those wins yeah i mean it, it, you know ultimately it depends on scale but at the end of the day it is going to be like your big kpis of revenue and your your uh, your CACs and like, mm -hmm. are you driving growth? Are you driving memberships? Are, are you driving subscription or your, you know, uh, MRR or ARR, you know? Um, so like, there's a lot of, you know, at the end of the day, at the end of the day, that's where you're going to get to. But, you know, especially in the B2B marketing space and where you have really long sales cycles and, you know, and really co complex uh, sales dynamics, um, it, it can be difficult to just make that your only KPI. Um, and so what you need to do is have kind of an apples apples um, comparison and whether it is uh, content, right, content engagement um, or some kind of uh, lead, you know, uh, generation or lead uh, demand gen, whatever your primary KPIs are now, like you, you need to have an equivalent one um, when you're trying to create this new experiment because you need to show them that this new kind of methodology and this new track uh, is like Apple. So it's not comparing something completely different. Uh, but like for us, you know, one of the things that we look at um, is going to be, you know, content uh, engagement. And so mm -hmm. this is both content downloads and re-engagement. Like not only are they downloading our content, are they coming back for more content? Um, you know, when we were doing that working capital, 
uh, one of the things that we realized is that, yeah, like they're re-engaging, right, with our content. It's not just a one-off, like, yeah, we got their email address or uh, mm -hmm. they were able to download one piece of content, but we were noticing that the same person was like downloading multiple content, right? Like they're starting to reconsume at a higher rate um, than previously because we, re we realized we were targeting the wrong demographic the entire time. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, when you're looking at your KPIs, ultimately it's going to be your, you know, your revenue, um, uh, at the end, but when you have long, complicated sales cycles, you're going to want to look at something that's a little bit higher up on the funnel. Are there any soft measures in terms of sort of the people's behaviors or, I mean, I'm talking about attitudes again, but you know, that you would sort of look to, to sort of be reassured that experimentation is, you know, it's happening in the right way. Yeah. Uh, I mean... So culturally, like internally, what, what, one of the, you know, kind of s soft measures, if, if you will, um, that naturally comes about when you start to build out this culture, culture of experimentation is that, A, you're going to notice an uptick in proactive questions that are being asked by the team. Mm -hmm. um, because, and for me internally, you know, this is one of the things that you start to realize, okay, we're starting to get this adoption as opposed to just being like, okay, this is my job. This is what I'm going to launch. I'm going to launch this campaign and run it and kind of see what's going to happen. When you start to really institute this kind of culture of experimentation, you, you'll, you'll just naturally start to notice that your team proactively starts to ask questions that you're like, Oh yeah, that is a good question. Why are we not asking these mm -hmm. things? Um, they start to probe into things that they're seeing as opposed to just saying, Hey, this is a data, like basically regurgitating uh, Excel spreadsheet or PowerPoint. Um, they are, instead of regurgitating that, they're asking new questions or new thoughts that are being promoted or prompted by the results that they're uh, seeing. And so, you know, anecdotally, like internally, like those are some of the things that you can start to see a shift when it comes to, hey, you know what, this shift uh, internally is starting to work and starting to gain some traction there. It's a more analytical, more sort of interrogation, um, yeah. which are all absolutely positive things. And I think we've concentrated on the the positives of experimentation. And look, I'm I'm not actually really sort of saying that we should not do experimentation, but just for sort of balance, from your experience and observations, what are the downsides or the potential sort of pitfalls of going down this very sort of structured experimentation route? Okay, so this is by far the easiest one, right? Um, is you become siloed in your thinking, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so, again, you start to build out structure and you start to build out this discipline and rigor when it comes to your experimentation. Um, but what ends up happening, you know, if you are on the right track, it's great. Um, but just like when you're doing like a creative brainstorm, mm -hmm. you do want some width, right? Like with your ideas and ideation. Um, and sometimes you get siloed down one, one line of thinking and one, one track mm -hmm. and thinking that it's the best ideas, the best, uh, you know, path moving forward. Well, the same thing can happen with your experimentation, right? Like if you start to build out these structures and you're like, okay, well, we need to tie this to the previous experiments. But then all of a sudden you realize, you know what, we're, we're on the entirely wrong track. Like we're, we're not even like, if we're looking directionally north, south, east, and west, we're looking south when we ought to be looking east or north, right? And so all of our experiments, like we're going down the whole, the, just the wrong rabbit hole. Um, mm -hmm. And so th there is, um, just like when you're dealing with, you know, creative creativity generally, when you go, when you're building out some 
you know, structure and discipline, sometimes you, um, you lack that, you know, creativity and imagination of like branching outside of those silos. Um, and, and I think that's probably one of the biggest kind of pitfalls or downfalls that you kind of, you kind of have to check against. Um, you know, occasionally to making sure that you're on the things that's going to really move the needle and have the biggest impact for the business. The business. And I think sort of to use the sort of the creative sort of analogy that you, you use there as well, it's it's knowing early and being confident to kill an idea if it's a bad idea within a creative sort of sense. Because sometimes you're like, well, initial excitement, this is good, this is good, but then you soon realise, oh, actually, I'm just trying to <laughs> retrofit this idea, post-rationalise this idea, yeah. and actually, I'd just be much better off just killing it. And I should imagine it's similar with research. If you're if you're going down a track and you're like, this is really i could probably make a conclusion that this is not going to return my hypothesis yeah it's better to sort of make that decision early than yeah. say i have got to be absolute slave to the process and get to the to the end so i think it's it's a very in very valuable sort of like counterbalance i think you've described there yeah um I mean, John, I've, I've really enjoyed this. I said I was going to enjoy speaking about experimentation. I, I like that it's a bit sort of, um, it's a little bit left field in terms of what, as I said, what we'd usually speak about, but actually hugely sort of relevant. Um, but before I let you go, um, I have to ask you our house question. Um, and you can apply experimental thinking to it by all means. But when was the last time that you saw some marketing or advertising, piece of creative, whatever, really, piece of communication that you felt in your guts that moved you on a deep emotional level? So this is probably not your standard answer. And it's, it's probably from an industry that, you know, you're probably, you know, most people are just kind of find boring, um, <laughs> but it is. Um, so one of the things that I've really, like I have just absolutely loved um, is actually the, what progressive insurance is actually doing with their overall marketing campaign. Um, and it's actually, I have one of the books. It's like the Dr. Rick um, being um, right back here because I love the idea of what they're trying, what they're trying to build. Um, and so they're, they're, they have multiple tracks, right? And, and this multiple brand, uh, you know, uh, heroes within their campaigns and the way that they develop those personalities, it, it is something that like, for me, Dr. Rick specifically, it like it just screams to you, right? Like it's just like whenever I see those commercials and whenever I see that messaging, like it's a just entertaining, and then B, it's just very relevant. It's like it's almost like I wrote it. Um, it it's like, it feels so personal, right? And yeah. relatable. And and I think when you are especially in you know an insurance world where uh, a lot of it is uh, you know it, it's all about brand um, because. It has to be because there's really not a, a huge amount of differentiation when it comes to the actual product. Um, but like for me, it's it's always my, uh, you know, thing that I, I see recently that I just like absolutely love. I, I love everything that they're kind of doing about their entire campaign. Um, and it's something that I, I follow um, quite personally, you know, like both from a professional standpoint, as well as just as a consumer um, of someone who's just interested in seeing uh, what they're doing with that. Oh, nice. Well, I'm, I'm going to have to check it out because I'm actually yeah. not not familiar familiar yeah. with it. It's probably more a US based thing, but yeah, no. <laughs> but no, no I will check. I will check. I mean, insurance companies are always interesting in terms of because it is so commoditized insurance, and especially with um, all of the sort of like the platforms that you know aggregate insurance as well. You've your distinct your distinguishing feature has to be brand. Yeah. Um, so it's fascinating to see how insurance companies realize that potential. Yeah. Um, 
Well, John, I'm going to say thank you once again. I thought lots of this was very relevant and also very, very interesting. I think probably the the main things which have come out for me, um, I think firstly, just the value of introducing some discipline to the way that you're approaching a project. And, you know, every every project to an extent is a little bit about discovering a little bit about reaching a conclusion, you know, whether that's from a sort of humble sort of A-B testing or to looking at whether you should enter a new market. Like it's about having a hypothesis and it's about trying to test that to see see whether it's true and clear. So a huge amount of application there. But I know I think it's also really important what you said at the end there is that you can't become beholden to research and you can't sorry the research process and you can't become blinkered so you have to have that little bit of disruptor still in you and i think that that's really what marketing needs to be aiming for it's like let's introduce some discipline but let's not forget some of that slightly rogue (laughs) characteristics that are so vital to creating a great uh, creative so like john absolute pleasure thank you very very much and uh yeah thanks for coming on the podcast Well, thanks for the invite. It was a pleasure. And yeah, I I, I enjoyed all of it. (laughs) B2B Marketing, The Provocative Truth is brought to you by Allen Agency. To find out more, head to allen-agency.com. You can stream B2B Marketing, The Provocative Truth on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere else great podcasts are found. And don't forget to click subscribe to ensure you don't miss out on any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at Allen, thanks for listening.